Yeah. All right. It might be a year and a half later, but Side Draft is back on the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Uh, this is Zach Albright, host of the Side Draft podcast, formerly Empty Beers and Burnt Good Years. Uh, I just got kind of tired of saying that, but we're back with the Side Draft. Um, so today, I've got uh, my buddy, famous race car announcer easy, easy on the famous <laughs> should be famous i still work 40 hours a week <laughs> racing announcer tyler williams uh we're sitting out on my porch just for a nice little uh, independence day relaxing racing conversation so we're going to jump into a few different scenarios today talk about uh the new and exciting srx series um and then just some kind of general racing talk uh me and tyler go way back and just uh we can kind of sit here for hours i think and, and talk about different racing uh questions and um you know what we like to do, what we like to watch and 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 tyler's a little bit more versed than i am in uh different genres i would say I've, I've, so, I've, I've got some picking up i need to do <laughs> i think i think one thing that we agree on and that almost anyone that I've talked to that likes racing can agree on is SRX has hit a big old home run coming out of the ballpark. And it's, it's just amazing. Cause I remember you, I, you and I remember as kids watching IROC and IROC was four races a year. It was typically on the same weekend that the cup guys would be at Michigan or wherever they were going to be. And, and, and that was exciting, but it seemed like it was so cup dominated that like, Eddie Cheever and them guys that would come run it didn't have a chance. Now, the way they've picked the talent, and I think the way Ray Everham has built the cars, like I think it, it really is. Everybody but Michael Walter probably has a shot at winning. You know, <laughs> well, my, honestly, honestly, Michael uh, at Knoxville, Michael was leading at Knoxville. Nah, I don't like Michael Walter. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't have anything bad to say against Michael really, but. I think the mix of drivers that they've chosen, you know, has been what's drawing people in. Um, you know, it, it, there was a lot of people given, you know, the decision to bring Haley Deegan in to fill in for Tony Kanaan those few races. Man, I'm going to tell you what. Haley Deegan was, if she had had a, she got held up the whole race. Yeah. She had had a little bit more. I think she would have maybe passed Tony Stewart. At, at Knoxville. Maybe not Eldora if she was there. That's, you know, obviously Tony's really good at Eldora. It's his own track. Um, but the mix of drivers, the cars, I love Ray Everham's uh, vision on that. You know, you look at the artistic concept that he released, you know, probably around a year ago now, the artistic concept, man, the, the final product is exactly like what he envisioned, right? And that's cool to me, um, looking at his influence of the Aero Year cars, and you know it's got that wing on it. That's that, that you know where that came from. That's yep. that's the Mopar guy in him, uh, the the '69 Charger Daytona or the '70 Superbird. So he's got that influence, and the and the the front nose, the way it dips down and kind of resembles the old uh, Talladega, you know. So that's that's cool to me, um, the way that they've come up with that on track product and, and made it a reality. Um, he's think, done a, he's done a great job. I think they really hit a home run with the schedule because, you know, I rock was, you know, kind of here and there and, and whatnot, but 
having it set where it's going to be was it eight or nine races or whatever and it's in the summertime like i think that was the best thing because you don't want to try to run this thing in the fall when you're running against nfl and college football the spring's a little crowded too with stuff you know so like the summer is perfect because all you're really competing with is baseball and and, and racing and in the grand scheme that's, that's really not a whole lot when you're competing for tv time so i think that hit a home run and also to me being willing to go to stafford and some of these other places because i'll i'll, I'll tell you this and I don't know a whole lot, but I, I know a little bit. And I know TV drives so much of the decision-making when it comes to where they go race and when they go race and, and, and why they go race. It's it's probably ultimately what has led NASCAR to leave a lot of these tracks behind and the regrettable decisions. But being willing or, or just having the, having the stones to say, look, this is where we need to go for the racing. We'll figure out the TV you know, as we get there, but it needs to be based on the racing, not where the TV wants us to go. I think that's been a real big home run. Because if if it had been up to TV, they would have never gone to Stafford. Because they'd have been like, this place is too small. Yep. We got to bring in all this stuff to make the cameras work. Like, yep. like no, the racing is where we need to be. And I've always kind of looked at it, you know, we've seen, we've seen sprint cars and dirt late models on asphalt. You know, growing up HP way, we saw that all the time. Uh, we've we've now seen um, you know some asphalt cars on dirt. You know I think Legends cars is probably one of the ones that does that well. Um, going from one to the other, I just wonder what a week at SRX looks like when you're transitioning from dirt to asphalt or asphalt to dirt. What what they're changing on those cars? That's neat to me to see the dynamic, right? I actually even saw a video the other day of an asphalt late model on a dirt track. Yeah, but with Raceway. I don't know if you saw that or not, but I did. Uh, my buddy Duncan Molesworth sent it to me and I was like, wow, you know, like, you know, that that's intriguing because we all know dirt cars are kind of purpose built. They're not really meant to run on asphalt. Yeah. You know, when we used to see the left front come off the ground up at A Speedway, it was kind of scary at the same time. I remember, so, <laughs> I remember watching Neil Welch tote the left front around A Speedway. God. And, and then hit the gas hard enough. It was almost like they were doing a wheelie coming out of four. You know, if you, if you watch close enough, it, both wheels are off the ground for a split second. But, um, I think that's another testament to just how smart Ray Evernham is. Cause yeah. Like you said, we've gotten to a point now where there is no crossover between those cars as far as, I mean, even the shock technology is completely different, but Ray somehow, I don't know what chemical X he put in there. He, he concocted a way where this car can really race on both. And I'm sure there's a, there's some changes underneath, but it at least worked where like the days of a dirt late model coming to a speedway or, you know, those days are long gone because long gone. Yeah. you just warp the chassis because they're, they're they're turning so much yeah you would it'd be like you know when them guys go-kart guys go to king of the concrete of greensboro and they all talk about man that thing just you know warps and tears up a chassis mm -hmm. that's what would happen if you tried to do a dirt late model on asphalt today yeah, yeah and that you know you heard tony stewart say it at eldora um he actually said they turned faster times in the srx series than the trucks were running at eldora i can believe it and to go from you know, they were at Knoxville the week before, so they probably didn't have to change much from Knoxville to Eldora as far as setup. But when you're going from Eldora to Slinger, or, or not Slinger, um, where, did they, where did they run this past week? It was uh, uh, Lucas, Lucas Oil, Oil. the yeah. old IRP. Yeah, so 
when you go from those tracks, dirt to asphalt, and, and still running faster than what the trucks had run two, three years in a row, however many years they ran the Mud Summer Classic, you know, that's a big deal to go to Eldora first time in those cars and turn that kind of time. Yeah. But you see the, you know, for example, the cup cars weren't running near the times that the super late models were running on dirt at Bristol. Well, no, they, they never were. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just too, they're too heavy. <laughs> they are. They it's a 3,400-pound so. tank versus a 2,300-pound race car. Yeah. Is basically. Yeah. But, so. yeah, you know what? And I think it, it needed someone like Tony Stewart because for, for all the hate Tony gets for maybe being a little arrogant, he's got the confidence and he's got the gumption to say this is what this is what it needs to be and everybody who's anybody knows that tony stewart is in that category of racer i put him in in the likeness of an aj floyd in the likeness of a kyle larson in the likeness of um i'm trying to think of someone else that could cross over like that maybe fernando alonso i mean or Ayrton senna i should say where it's it don't matter what we're racing. It could be race cars, it could be baby carriages, it could be food line shopping carts. We're gonna yeah. find a way to, to <laughs> the talent's gonna showcase to succeed. Not a lot of right. you know, there's a handful of guys that do that in a lifetime, and I think it took someone like him to have that vision and also, you know, the corporate backing. You know, yeah, he's right. got he's got a lot of corporate sponsorship. He knows those connections. I mean. I mean, Camping World's a daggum title sponsor. That's exactly what I was about to say. Camping World deserves, like, some, like, special recognition across motorsports completely at this point. I mean, he's he's short of going out to the local short tracks and sponsoring the weekly series to, to be in just the best thing that's happened as far as, you know, probably keeping the truck series alive at this point. Um, so that's been that's been cool to see. And, and you know, I'm curious to see what he's – going to do later on um as far as down the road what what he'll pursue next so because it's funny he's not a he's not like a racing guy marcus lamonis you you wouldn't look at him and think racing you'd look at him and think you know business guy but apparently i think i think you could probably attest to this i think he's just someone that sees how hard you have to work to be good at racing and i think he just has an appreciation for hard working no yep. matter because if you watch his TV show, that's the one thing he gets pissed off at the most is when people don't work hard. So yeah, yeah. that's got to be what's got him in. I'm sure. And, and it's, you know, you got the same fan base too. Most most of your people that are going to want to go camping are going to be involved in, you know, maybe going. I, I always told Christy, you know, I would like to do that maybe even when I retire. If the series is still going, then get a camper or an RV and just go to every single race camp yeah. there for the weekend. You know, that's really cool to me. Maybe one day I'll get to retire early and do it earlier. So There you go. <laughs> but uh, you know, that that whole dynamic there, he I think he understands that that's a good business avenue for him. So uh shout out to Marcus Simonis on that and and you know, taking the leap with SRX, I'm sure it wasn't an easy thing cuz nobody knew how it was going to do. And I think that series is going to grow. I think I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I I think it's almost like they want to compete with NASCAR. In a way, I in think. a way, yeah. you know, in a way. Um, so that's that's going to be interesting to see uh, over the next four or five years how that develops. Well, do you? Here, here's a question: Just the pure on-track product, entertainment-wise, how do you stack it up against like a Cup race? Well, I think 
you would have to classify it, um, just for me, you would have to classify it over the past, like, er errors of cars. A lot of people, if they, especially if they don't watch NASCAR every week, you know, I, I'm actually getting to the point where I'm watching truck, Xfinity, and Cup every weekend. For sometimes, unless I'm really busy, um, which and it's hard to do that. I, you know, I'll go out here and if I'm mowing the yard and the Xfinity race is on, I'm listening to it. Um, or or if I can pick up the Wi-Fi, I'm watching it. You know, with my with my earphones in. So I think the racing product that NASCAR has put on the track, regardless of what anybody says, you got the same people that say, "Oh, they're stage racing now. Oh, it hadn't been the same since Senior left." You know, oh, they, you know, they did this. The racing product that NASCAR has on the track right now is more entertaining than it's ever been in my lifetime, for the most part. Now, you, you bring back some of the old tracks, and as far as the racing package, I think they're doing a good job. Now, I'm trying to think of what race it was recently in the Cup Series, and, and this is where I'm driving with this, but I think it was... Knoxville or maybe even the first race it may have it may have been Stafford you had SRX they were three wide for first place with you know five to go you know it was something crazy like that and I think for the most part all the races have been about like that maybe not Eldora Tony was pretty well out front at Eldora did you go Knoxville Haley Deegan's with a couple more laps she's passing Tony Stewart actually Prior to that, she passed Tony Stewart on the outside. Yeah. And was willing. She just got held up a lot by Michael Waltrip, actually. Ah, there he is again. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if you compare the racing product of now to SRX, I think they're they're relatively close. But if you dial it back to, you know, 2010 NASCAR, and if SRX was coming in then, NASCAR might not be here anymore. Is if the racing product that SRX is putting on the track now. Yeah. But you know, I, I think it's it's a big if. But I, I'm I'm liking what they're doing with NASCAR right now and I'm I i want to see what the new car is gonna be like. I think it'll I think it'll be more competitive. I'm curious to see. I know everybody is, right? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm curious. I'm not a fan of um I'm not a fan of electrification. If they go full electric, especially, I think it'll really kill itself. The sound is, whether or not you like it or not, the sound is part of the experience. Yeah. Right? My ears rang all day yesterday from being at South Boston with 36 <laughs> late models on the track. That was probably not the best decision not to have hearing protection, but it's part of the experience. Right. Um, going to a cup race, I went to the 600, and I had a really unique experience um, the 600 was obviously dominated by Kyle Larson. There was hardly any cautions. The cookie cutter tracks, I think, don't put a great package on unless the surface is really bad. And Charlotte is not the best example of that. Atlanta would probably be a better Atlanta example. Atlanta is a better example of that. And, um, you know, next week, I think the racing is going to be great at Atlanta. So when you go to Charlotte, and I always said the past couple times that I went to Charlotte at the All-Star race that I wouldn't go back. And, and I always tell people that are thinking about going to a race, hey, let me take you to Martinsville. Yep. If, you've never, if you've never been to a NASCAR race, let me take you to Martinsville because I want to go and I want to watch your face. 
this this sport that you're saying is just people turning left or there's not much to it. Let's go to Martinsville and you stand, you know, down close to the fence. And I want to see your face. Or, or let's go to Bristol and do the same thing, you know. Um, but Charlotte's not the place to go unless you're just trying to do a little partying uh, in the infield or, or in the campgrounds. You know, Charlotte's a good place for that on 600 weekend. But, um, you know, the, the surface needs to wear out a little bit, Charlotte. Yeah. So... I'm I'm a little torn on. I mean, it's 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 always going to be different kind of racing. Like if you watch an IndyCar race, you see different kind of racing than you see Formula One. Formula One, it's a great hit off the start. People get a little spaced out. There's a little bit of passing, and then it really turns into a strategy game, and it turns into a real performance. And I I think I've gravitated a little more toward Formula One because of the constructor aspect, and it's you know it's a it's it's a the it's a constructor championship. It's building a car. NASCAR lost me a little bit through the COT and through other things where I felt like every car was basically the same with a few different decals and a few different little doodads. I think for me that will change next year with the new car. I think I think that I think that might bring me back a little. But I think I'd just as soon watch an Xfinity race before I watch a Cup race. Right now, I think yeah. I think I just like that. I, I think I just like that product better, but. For where I'm at, SRX is putting on a great Saturday night short track racing program, which is the reason 15,000 people will pile into Bowman Gray every Saturday night because you want to see that. Yep. It's entertaining, and you don't have to sit there and look for a battle. The battle's in front of you. Yep. For me, I'm, I'm still, you know, heavy on the dirt late model stuff and the sprint car stuff and i'm enjoying that kind of racing but i mean it, it ebbs and flows man i you know it's just like you go through a season where you like college football more than you like pro football and then you might you know turn 35 and you switch back the other way so yeah. i mean it you know who knows well i'm glad you brought up f1 because and you you actually spelled that out exactly how i would have said it the the constructors and that's a good point because i think nascar lost sight of that because there, there's nobody that I know right now that's looking at NASCAR kind of in the constructor way. Like, there's nobody going, oh, that's a Chevrolet. Let's pull, you know what I mean? Like, or, or that team or something, you know, the, the manufacturers being involved, the way that people look at F1. I now, agree. when I watch F1, I'm pulling for Honda, right? The Red Bull cars, yeah. The Red Bull cars or Alpha Tori. I'm pulling for those teams to win and I don't think that NASCAR has that right now because the because of the driver loyalty, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe if there's any diehard Toyota people out there, maybe. But I think them doing the taking this next step for the new car, the COT was necessary for safety. Yeah. What they did with the COT as far as safety improvement was completely necessary and on paper it looked like it was going to be more equal competition you know the problem is i think really with the cot the uh the aero push that was generated from from the wind uh, the car in front it was just not the best product right yeah so yes the aesthetic also looked it was it was i think it was too dramatic of a change the flying brick you know yeah the flying brick <laughs> when kyle bush gets out in victory lanes and these things suck yeah yeah the flying brick so 
I mean, that aspect of F1 has me, and I, and I watch F1, and I was probably one of those guys that, I didn't grow up watching F1, I didn't grow up watching IndyCar, and now, and I still am not an into IndyCar, but I think the F1 interest that I have now, generated by the drive to survive, show on Netflix, you know, I watch F1, and keep keep track of it, like, you know, like I'm into NASCAR, you know, but I didn't grow up thinking that I was going to like that because I only had that NASCAR upbringing. But then when I look back, you know, I was telling someone not, not too long ago, my grandpa was that way with the manufacturers about Pontiac. Yeah. He didn't care who was driving it, but he wanted a Pontiac to win. Later on, I found out why that was, and me and you have discussed that on my podcast, but during that time, I had no idea why he was so diehard Pontiac. He always drove Pontiacs. That's what he liked. You know, he had a, he had a couple of different cars, obviously, but he, um, he was always pulling for whoever was in the Pontiac he wanted them to win. And I was like, you know, I don't care. You know, you know how I feel about Chevrolet, but I want Dale Earnhardt to win. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, except for those times that I was not too happy with him, you know, about well, roughing up the 24. R- well, no, no, the 24 didn't bother me as much as it did the five. Oh, when it he roughed like, up Terry, man, when he did that, I was everybody just, hated him. I was night. just telling, I was just telling, we were talking on the way to South Boston and I was like, you know, we were going back and forth and, um, and actually this might be a good segment <laughs> All right. into, into what we were going to talk about as, as far as that. But, um, uh, I was telling them, you know, I always pull for Earnhardt except when he did something to wreck someone. And I was like, Oh, why'd you do that? You know, Terry Labonte was so cool and calm. It was kind of like I was defensive of him, you know, like I mean? the first time or the second time. I think this particular time was the second time. Because the first time he still crossed the finish line and won, he's like, no hard feelings. The yeah, second time was yeah, not the this case. This is the second time. <laughs> the second time when he said, I was just going to rattle his cage or something, you know. And it was. <laughs> you remember Terry Labonte's retort to the question? So they, so they went down to him. He's, he's talking after the race. And the reporter had the stones to say uh, to Terry Labonte, he said, Dale said he didn't mean to wreck you. Uh, he, he didn't mean to wreck you intentionally. And Terry Labonte goes, he never means to wreck anybody intentionally, yeah. does he? <laughs> I was like, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I went, I always went through, um, I always went through phases with those drivers and, and, and we can kind of move on from, yeah. from SRX, but the, uh, you know, definitely excited about what that's going to be in a couple of years. And this year has been great for me, but, um, I always kind of went through phases with drivers. It's, I started, you know, I was an Adam Petty fan, and you know how that turned out. Yeah. I was a Dale Earnhardt fan. That Unfortunately, you know how that turned out. Um, but as far as Dale, as far as Dale goes, I, you know, I had those when he did something where he messed up somebody, and I felt like it was unwarranted. I'm like, oh man, why'd you do that? You know. Nowadays, I, I look at it as well, if I was, that's something Dale Earnhardt lo- never lost sight of. And that's, I'm racing for this money. Yep. And if you're in the way and I can move you. And I think, I think to myself, you know, especially like the million, 
you know, the all-star race. Yeah. Would I move somebody for a million dollars? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, I'd move them out of the way. Move them twice. Jeez. So, um, I, you know, I went through the Gordon phase because my dad was a Gordon fan. But I, even to this day, and I, I have a longer list of drivers that I dislike. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people. More so than I'm a diehard this person fan. Oh, yeah. Like I pull for I pull for several people, but I'm more excited when certain people are just out of the yeah. way. Last last cup race I went to during driver intros, I heard more people getting booed than cheered. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you got like the ten or so that like nobody knows they're there or don't care. But I heard more people get like the only person I get I got heard cheered was like Chase Elliott. Everybody else, it was like more boos than cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's everybody. I don't think that's just you. I, when I was a kid, and and I still to this day, I told I told uh, another buddy of mine the other day, I have never, and I don't know why this is, I have never liked anybody that drove that two car. That's that's okay. Not a single person, and I know you're. I know. Yeah, that's, hey, I don't care. I know that it's you're. Opinion. You're you're a fan of the two car for, but you have your reason, right? Yeah, I, I, you have I, your reason. I, I have a family reason, and it's yeah. like I couldn't get off the emotional bandwagon like i yeah. tried to like other people and it's just it's, it's just something about that font that car i think because i liked it as a kid i'm just now there was a period where i did not like who drove that car kurt bush yeah. i cannot back kurt bush yeah. and after hearing jimmy spencer's interview on the dale jr download i really cannot <laughs> like kurt bush because he's a real piece of work yeah <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's 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 wild how you get tied down to that, and I think I think that'll lead perfectly into the other thing we were talking about doing for this was the emotional moments that grab you as a race fan, and just the moments that happen that just like they grip you and they remind you this is why I love racing because it will it will draw an emotion out in you. It's just like I I, I haven't I haven't felt an emotion about a sport like racing, except for maybe my senior year of high school football at Williams. And I we lost the state championship. And I, and I wasn't a player, I was on the bench. Like if I'd have gone in, we'd have lost by a lot more. But like, like it made me cry when we lost. And it drew that emotion out in me. Other than that, I have not been that emotionally tied to any sport like racing. And there's just been, there's moments in life and, and I know you can, you'll attest to this as we go through it. Those moments that happen, whether you're in the pits or just a fan that you just like, like I think everybody can definitely attest to 2001 Pepsi 400 at Daytona, first race back after senior dies and Dale Jr. gets the lead with like four to go. I think everybody with a pulse turned into a Dale Jr. fan and was on the brink of tears. Yep watching those last few laps well i wasn't on the brink i can go ahead and tell you i was you already were i was there i was there crossing the plate bud but i i it actually for me goes back to to 98 at daytona when um who was the announcer when his voice was quivering he goes every man from every crew you know his and you can joy you can hear mike joy's voice shake because he was emotional and and i thought man you know any at that time you know Earnhardt was not doing well as far as his career. So you kind of were thinking Maybe he's, time. he's never going to get it. He's yeah. never going to get the 500. But when he won that race 
and every single person lines up down, you know, and then Mike Joy's voice quivering like that. And, and, you know, that was the first time I can really remember the emotion. Uh, of course, when at the end of 2001 Daytona race, oh, that one was bad. Uh, but, but as far as ex- happiness and, and so, so a happy cry, yeah, the, the, the Daytona race after that, that Dale Jr. won, you can't match it. And um, that was a cool thing. And, and it's like even you referenced the Jimmy Spencer. That had to happen. Yeah. That had to happen for, the, for that sport. You know, it, it just was a magical moment that I think, you know, that's why they replay it all the time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's why it's a staple of, of memory for most NASCAR fans. So I tell you a local one that would draw me. Now this was any Friday night at A Speedway. I don't have a specific time in mind. But if you ever wanted to see me worked up, pouting, crying, PO'd, all in one thing as a kid, if Robert Turner got knocked out of the way in the late model race or got dumped or spun, I would storm out of the grandstands, go find a quiet place, and I would pout and cry. I, I was so emotionally tied to Robert Turner in late models at a speedway. If he hears this, he'll probably laugh and go, Oh my God, get a life. But that, that is like the first one I really remember just being emotionally tied to someone. Like if, if Robert Turner would get an award on a Friday night and like, I would hear Larry Tomar talking about, all right, we got hard charger from late model, Robert Turner or bad luck award or pole award. Like I would, I would perk up and I would hang on him and he's just a normal guy. But like as a kid, that was the first one I really gravitated to. If someone dumped him, you know, I I just I, I got so upset. If he would run top three, I was like, oh man, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's gonna go interview Robert Turner. <laughs> and I just that that's the first one that comes to mind for me as far as like a local guy that I just got emotionally hung on. And I still, when I went to go interview him for for my podcast, I mean, I, I was just sitting there hanging on on his words because he just he he still you don't you don't lose that feeling as a kid you become a man and i think you get a different perspective but like i i I think i enjoyed that interview almost more than any other one because i just i loved him so much as a kid yeah i i can't say i remember a specific uh scenario with my dad working on on a car and what um you know i know they had some Back in those days, they had the Don Cook drama. <laughs> uh, so they they had drama with that guy, and then uh, you know made a couple run-ins with the Bledsoes. And because uh, your dad was work, was it Shannon Dowd? Shannon, yeah, Shannon so, Dowd and yeah, the Superstars. Yeah, so Shannon, you know, he struggled up until we got in the Dodge with the Dodge uh, support from you know Smith Stokes sponsorship and um, McCandless Engine as Herb McCandless is the engine builder and you know those those things uh became competitive right and and at that time it was the first uh short track Mopar that had returned to racing um so that was those times that got emotional because he was winning you know uh should have won the championship in in 99 and did then did win it in 2000 in the Dodge so uh, that those times were cool, um, and, and you know my uncle was 
Todd Massey's crew chief. Oh, so when it came yes, to the late sir. model race, uh, you know, that I was purple three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The old, old Barney. So, um, it, that, that part of it was neat. Um, was he with Todd when he was running ace on Fridays and Myrtle beach on Saturdays mm-hmm. and mad boar car? Yeah. Yeah. They were, he was, he was traveling with them. So that's a lot of driving. Yeah. Man. That's a four hour haul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was neat. And, and, and bringing up, um, you know, Todd's still racing and obviously Robert's running ace. I was sitting there, I find myself like Robert sat with us at South Boston. Uh, and I was sitting there looking at Robert thinking, you know, I wonder what happens when drivers like that go to a race like that. You know what I'm saying? And it could be kind of a similar feeling that, you know, drivers in the broadcast booth feel when they're watching a race, like, you know, I wonder what what is going through a driver's perspective then, you know, just kind of a tangent there. But I remember thinking that, you know, with Robert sitting there and there's 36 late models out there. wonder what's going through a former driver like that. What's what's going through his head? What's he thinking about? What's he what's he analyzing? I'm sure it's an itch. I got a feeling it would be the equivalent of if your granddaddy or your great granddaddy farmed land. And he did it a certain way in his time because mm-hmm. that was the technology he had and that's the money he had. Yep. Maybe the farm gets passed down to another generation. Maybe it gets sold to somebody and someone else farms it. You see someone else doing it and maybe they got a little different doodads for doing it. They got different resources for doing it. At the end of the day, it's it's still, the, the principle is still the same. Probably sitting there like, yeah, I, yeah. It's got to be some kind of itch still in there. Yeah. You know. I don't think you ever, and I, I, I told a guy that was sitting behind us in the stands, he used to race legends or a couple other things here and there, and he was like, yeah, you know, I used to run up here, and we were just small talking. He's like, I, I'm out of it now. I'm like, well, do you ever really get out, or do you just do something different? I think you just do something different. Yeah. You know, well, even if it's a fan, you're still a fan or you're he was like well we do you know we build these rc cars and do this and that and i'm like see there you go it's the motorsports thing right it's the motorsports bug you're you're in you're still attached to it but um you know that that type of emotion is is one thing that's cool about racing you see like you see like guys like ty gibbs winning and being as successful as he is come out just crying on the track you know when he won daytona the road course this year and had never sat in an xfinity car right yeah that type of emotion you can't you can't always uh match that unless you see a player winning the super bowl or you know winning the world series like you don't you don't see that type of emotion just from how hard it is to win these races and these guys get out and that's a big deal i think I think what draws that emotion more, if I had to guess, is if you're playing a team sport trying to succeed, you need to do your job and do your part, but you also need other people to do their job and do their part. Whereas with racing, so much of it is the driver doing his part, but also the mechanics of the car working, and not. And then also I think so much of it is just fate not running into someone else's accident, not running over a 
a header that came off on the track that flattens your tire. There's so much stuff that you can't control. I think that's what makes it mean more to them. If I had to guess, I ain't sat in the seat but twice, but there's just so much that they can't control that will knock them out of a race or will knock them out of a championship. And like I thought about, um, I was trying to think, who was I thinking about? I was 1993 in the Cup Series, and it was a year Rusty won 10 races. My uncle was working for him, and you sitting there thinking, like, all right, 10 races, you should win a championship, but had so many wrecks, so many things break. He gets flipped at Talladega and breaks his arm, and he's messed up for the next couple of races. Davey Allison in 92. Yep. Driver wasn't a problem, but gets in wrecks, gets hurt, mechanical stuff happens. So I think because so much stuff can go wrong that you just flat out don't have control over, I think that's what gets those responses when they do win because it's like, I did my job and everything else went right. Yeah, and that's, I, you know, if is a big word in racing. You know, just like uh, Pocono. If the, <laughs> if the tire doesn't blow, Kyle yeah. Larson wins, right? If Kyle Busch doesn't run out of gas, Kyle Larson wins, right? Or if Kyle if Kyle Bush had ran out of gas, Kyle Larson would have won. Then we'd be talking me and you would be sitting here talking about someone who's run six races in a row. Unreal. Right? If they counted the all star race, it'd be what, seven probably. Yeah. So if is a big word in racing and execution at every level is important. You can't say, Well, if my if my uh track bar bolt hadn't come loose i would have won that race now you can't say that because you failed guess what somebody didn't tighten down the track bar bolt all the way and that's an oversight that's not winning a race so if is if is a big word right now the only the only way i think one thing is kind of you can get out of that and say well maybe like uh you know, there's been a couple of races where Goodyear has problems, right? Um, and that's not part of that's, – that's not really anything to do with your race car, right? That's, yeah. That's a supplied yeah. part or, or component that is literally out of your hands. It's bad luck. Yeah. It's bad luck. Maybe out of 100 tires, you got two bad ones, and you just so happen to have one of them on at that point. Right, you have a couple of teams like that where there was just a bad processing issue. And it's not really like you have a choice. It's not like in you know yeah. it, you're wearing a Chris Ferguson shirt at dirt late model racing. You choose: do I gamble and go soft tire? Do I go hard tire? Do I go medium? What do I do? That ain't no option in, in Cup. You you, yep. you just got what you got, bolted on, and hope to God it's manufactured correctly. Yep. And I, and I wonder, I find myself wondering about how how that is going to work with the chassis next the, year the next gen car yeah next gen car you know let's just say there's a bad weld on a chassis somewhere it breaks Ooh. you know what i'm saying yeah i mean that's a legit you have question. to you have to think like this because and i'm in a unique scenario in this aspect because i work in manufacturing i know the variables that are in manufacturing right you, you human error fixturing error machine error like all these things that you can avoid with custom tailored, you know, people looking at it uh, or fabricating it themselves. Now, the other 
so I'm sure that NASCAR is paying or the teams will be paying for some quality inspection, right? They're, they sh they're probably going to catch some things here and there, but it's not going to be 100%. There's no such thing as 100%. It's just like when they went to, remember when they took all the pit guys' guns away? Yeah. All the pit crew guys had kind of doodaded and, and jabbed around and made their guns a little more customizable. And NASCAR took the guns away and said, well, we're going to issue the guns. And anytime someone has a problem on pit road with a gun, I mean, it's not our gun, it's NASCAR's gun. Yeah. That's where like, like in Formula One, we were talking earlier, if, if, if I'm running, if I'm Valtteri Bottas driving for Mercedes and something breaks in the suspension, I ain't got FIA to blame. I got, yep. this is our car that we built, we screwed up. Yep. That still sucks, but it's it's on us. If it's on, you know, the the sanctioning body or whoever issues these things, and it's a uniform issuer, it's like now I'm double pissed. Yeah. You know, you robbed me a chance. You yep. you robbed me of a chance. I you know, it's not like I can go in the shop Monday and be like, you know, who's working on hubs? What's the deal? Yep. Like, why do we make this mistake? When it's the sanctioning body issuing it, like you're talking about, it's like. Now I'm if if I'm a driver or I'm a I'm a team executive I'm a creature I'm double pissed now yep. I'm like I was banking on you I'm paying you, and like yeah like you said manufacturing nothing's a hundred percent you can get it close but there's a there's a human variable yep and and I think you we'll see some of that we're gonna see the growing pains of that aspect of it you know component part uh, delivery and supply and that part of it you're going to be buying things to the point where you're relying on those other people but you also have to be observant of it right yeah. you know it's going to be kind of one of those things you heard um you know petty back in the old days they get their stuff home they bring it back they tear it all down and magna flux it which is crack checking yeah crack checking it fixing it putting it on a shelf, building the next car, right? And you're going to see that type of thing, I think, kick back in. You know, and, and this time you'll just have one A-arm instead of a short track A-arm and a super speedway A-arm and a road course A-arm. You're going to have more uniform, com you know, components. And I think that's what's going to drive the competition because teams are able to develop their own strategy of how they're going to maintain this equipment and how they're going to um, finalize their package on the racetrack. That's just my opinion. Um, but I'm curious to see how it's gonna work out. It's funny how different series take to the situation of customizable stuff. I'll give you an example. The Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series has a rule in place that whatever is on that car has to be able to be bought you know, like by, by like a general manufacturer. They got, they, they kind of put this in after Jonathan Davenport went out there and I think it was 2015 and Kevin Rumley was the engineer on the car and he, yes, there was the device on the left rear, but Kevin's also a, 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 an insanely smart engineer. So I guarantee he probably had four or five different things on that thing that were, you know, pretty creative and just being able to gather data like people didn't gather. And Lucas Oil put the rule in that said it's got to be something that is available for all people to purchase. 
And I almost wonder, I get trying to keep costs down, but I also did enjoy the old aspect of me putting my brain against your brain and who can come up with the best solution. Yep. So like, I, I don't know how you balance that. I, I, I really don't know how you balance that. Well, I think me and you have had that conversation about the engines uh, before, about the manufacturers. Really, I'd like for it to be more like the way Toyota's model is, you know. With TRD. Yeah, and, and I, I think if Honda, if Honda comes into the sport, it's gonna be like Toyota's model, most likely down to the point of probably built in California, shipped to North Carolina, distributed to the teams, unmarked, right? You're getting engine number one. Now, to me, now it's probably more uniform because of the merger of Childress and, and ECR. Um, there wasn't, maybe still isn't much Chevrolet about those engines. This, probably not. Th there's not much, I mean, um, that's just my opinion, but now that it's more uniform, you can say, yeah, you know, there was probably a significant difference between an ECR Chevrolet and a Hendrick Chevrolet, right? But now you've got Roush Yates combined. They're doing their thing. It's the Ford engine is the Ford engine. So it's uniform. It doesn't necessarily have to be designed and built by Chevrolet, but it's got to be uniform, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that has to be consistent. You, you, at the beginning of the year, if NASCAR comes in and says, okay, Chevrolet teams, submit your Chevrolet engine. Ford teams, submit your Ford engine. Toyota, we're going to look at it. Here's what you're saying. This is the model, right? And now that's why I like to go back to one horse, one horsepower package. Yeah. Um, preferably like a 1,000 horsepower. That'd be nice. But, <laughs> <laughs> I saw a hat yesterday that said, make cup cars a 1,000 horsepower again, like in the MAGA. It was yeah. a red hat, make cup cars a thousand horsepower again, which, you know, I just like, would like to see the manufacturers get involved to that degree. You yeah. Know? And I think Dodge was fairly that way when they supplied the engines, you know, they, their deal with Everham, I think they were that involved. So. It's, it's funny with the motors. Cause like dirt light model racing, it's, it's, it's pretty open. It's 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 a motor that's putting out 900 horsepower. It's probably putting out more. Sprint car racing used to be unlimited. Then they eventually got down to all right. The top you can run is is a 410, and you know as long as it's 410, you know build what you have. 410 cubic inches. Or yeah, horsepower. Four, uh, okay. 410 cubic inches. Okay. Yeah, those things are putting out way more. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say because there's a 360, right? They yeah, do a 360 and 410. 410, 360, 305, and I like that uniformity as far as okay, this is how big it can be built. Yep. But as far as you know, let your creative juices flow within that box. I, I kind of feel the same way, and I don't I don't know much about sprint car racing. Uh, I watch it, and I'm in, in amazement, right? But I don't know. I don't follow it to that degree. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, NASCAR said 358 cubic inches, whatever, right? Yeah. But, you know, you have to nail down some other stuff so that it doesn't get too wild. But I, I would like, going back to the SRX thing, you know, they're using the LS platform. Yeah. And like, is, I, are they using the LS3 or is it just uh, in the I, style of the LS? I don't know if it's a 
LSX or LS1 or LS3. The, the three is what comes in a Corvette, isn't it? I'm yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure what to what degree it is, um, but I would like to see even NASCAR consider something like that. Yeah. You know, make it be a manufactured engine. If the LS comes in, let's say Dodge comes in, they run the Hemi. And, you know, and there's a, it's a, even if it's down to the block and the heads, you know, they're going to do what they do with the intakes, but keep the block and the heads similar, and then that forces them to, utilize something that's factory um and and see what happens it, it there might be some hey we need to change this next year but i think that would be cool here's here's i'm gonna throw i'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to put your whatever that hat is and people wear where they look into the crystal ball and we look into the future <laughs> what happens here down the road i know the ceo of general motors has already came out with that statement that by whatever year they were going to stop manufacturing gasoline engines you got all this government subsidy money pushing these people to make electric cars because i I'm, I'm of the opinion they would not be pushing hardly at all if it were not for uncle joe and the government's subsidies that are in place for them to do this because that's just my opinion are we are we just running against the clock here until all these manufacturers seem like they all just want to go electric and be done with it. I I hope not. And if they do that, I, I would I wouldn't be pushing for the manufacturer thing. I think um, for the direction they're going now and and working for you know the company I work for, um, that's their goal too. That's their goal too. Um, but I, I would, and that's why I said earlier I think it would die with electrification because. Can you imagine going to a NASCAR race and hearing nothing but probably you would literally hear the sound of the air traveling over the bodies yeah. in in a high speed. It's like the whole reason you go to a drag race. Yeah, can you imagine? Stand in the water box and hear them light it up. Now, I applaud them because I have seen you know some of those electric drag cars doing wheel stance. That's cool, but... Um, I just can't imagine a NASCAR race where there is no audible engine noise. Yeah. There's nothing that, like you said, that's that's just part of the experience at this point. But I would hope that it doesn't come to that. I think that there's a downside to anything. Electrification, yes, it might save the, the greenhouse, but I don't think the power grid can handle it personally. I, I, don't, I haven't done the math on that. But um, I don't think that if the entire world went electric, that the power grid could handle it uh, at, at one point in time. But I, I could be wrong. I'll give you. I'll give Maybe you. Maybe so, I'm sure there's people thinking about that, but I don't want it. Yeah. In, I don't want it in racing. I'll give you where it gets me. So when I would go to Piedmont Dragway as a kid, and I didn't go much, but when I would go, I didn't know much about cars. You know, I was, I was an A Speedway kid. So I was used to those cars. You go to drag strips, totally different. And I could tell by how much sound a car made whether I wanted to pay attention. If pro stock, you know, you went for a big dog on Thursday night, pro stock gets on the line and does a burnout, and the sound, I'm like, okay, it's time to pay attention. Yeah. Pro, you know, Totoro brings his pro mod out there. 
that that godforsaken sound that thing makes. Okay, I need to perk up and listen. If it's a class that's you know making less, you know, no knock on those guys. It's making a little less noise. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's time. Let's go walk around the pits or let's go to the concession stand. But if I'm walking around and I hear a pro stock on the line, oh, I get back to my seat. Going back to what you said, the sound is critically important. Yep. You ain't yep. got to be launching a rocket ship, but I do get off on the sound. It, I, I get off on hearing 24 Dirt Lake models light them up on the start of a race, and the yep. sound of 24 900 horsepower Dirt Lake model super engines, like, yeah. So let's go that far. Okay. Can you imagine being a dirt late model race with electric in? <laughs> no, that's la- is it? Is that's laughable? You right talk now, about the most number one, the most politically incorrect form of racing yes. or fan base of yes. racing in the country. Heck, no, I cannot yeah, imagine. It I can't imagine sound. it, and I can't imagine it in NASCAR. Um, I, I think if if you do some type of hybrid, like regenerative braking, something like that, okay. If we're just going to market it, then yes, do it. Do MDS. You know, probably both of our trucks right now, if they're in eco mode, half the engine shuts off and saves fuel. Yeah. That that would probably be so achievable in NASCAR. If you want to say, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, they kind of already do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they cut them off. People just don't know that, right? They yeah. think that. And they're already running off American ethanol, right? They're, yeah. they're not using. The E85 or whatever yeah, it they're is. They're not using, like. The extremely, they're like not usually two. using extremely terrible things. Um, so I, I, I think if you do that and create some type of, you know, um, what are that? What do they call it in Formula One? Where they is it? Is it DRS? Yeah, DRS where the, yeah, so, the wing pops up. Yeah, so if DRS. If, if you have some type of power adder where people can pass, and you know that that's cool to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that looks like in NASCAR, um, but on road courses for like F1, you know, sometimes that makes it interesting, mm-hmm. right? You could have a last lap pass or somebody that has DRS activated. You know, that's That'd be pretty wild. Right that's there. pretty wild, yeah. So something like that is really cool, um, but I don't know what it looks like in NASCAR yet. But I, I'm not gonna say I'm completely out of the scope of electrifying but full electrification no yeah can't do it we it, the sport will die yeah it, it'll it, it, not only will it it would probably have some new fans but your fan base deteriorates your race attendance deteriorates because the sound is part of the experience yep it's part of the feeling you know when that green flag drops and all 40 cars are on the gas and the whole crowd is on their feet. How do you even know, uh, yeah. you know, it, with, an, with a, a fully electric car, there's nothing, there's no excitement to the green flag. It'd be like going to a baseball game. You're used to the sound of what happens, what, what it sounds like when a wooden bat hits the ball. The sound of what a fastball sounds like when it hits the mitt. Yep. And you're like, oh, man, that was something. Oh, man, that was a hit. They went out there with a wiffle ball and a wiffle bat. You're like, what is this? Yeah. This is not, Yeah. how am I supposed to know what's going on? <laughs> so, yep. 
Yep. There's, it's that same dynamic. It's like you said. Um, but I don't know uh, what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like for NASCAR. Anything else to get off your chest before we close up? Well, you tell me, man. You're, you're. I mean, mm. you're the, you're the host extraordinaire. You're just, you know, uh, we're just on the side draft today. <laughs> but you're the host extraordinaire. You, t you, you know. Man, I'm, I'm really worried. I'm really worried about local racing, and I know there's certain events. I know you went to South Boston this weekend, and. You know, the crowd was amazing, 37, 38 late models, and and that was great to see. I, I hate I couldn't be there, but I, I had a family function. But um, I'm really worried about weekly racing because it's already been happening. It's probably been happening on both sides. It's already been happening in dirt racing. Weekly tracks are, are in a real struggle. Participation is just down. There's so many more things you can do with your money. You can go buy a boat, a pontoon, go out on the lake on the weekend. You can go do this, that, that, and the other. And, it, and there's so many dirt tracks now that are special event only. Like Smoky Mountain Speedway, Maryville, Tennessee, doesn't run a weekly program. They, they are special events only. I think Muskegon County, where Lucas Oil just ran this past weekend, I think, I'm pretty sure it's just special event only. Weekly racing is just really, in a struggle and 10 million people have 10 million different ideas of how to save it and it's just not happening and I I know we come out of pandemic last year and everything that came with it and I I worry about it because when you lose the weekly local racing everything else follows like if you don't have guys running late models weekly somewhere on, or on a, on a strong weekly foundation you lose car count for car store races i i give you an example that season opening race they had at dillon where i think they only had 20 or 21 or something like that i know that was a low car count for them you have to you have to be able to draw weekly guys that are willing to step up and be somewhat regional when that weekly stuff dies you know the 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 rest follows what made hooters pro cup so successful was you had a lot of local guys who saw an opportunity to do something for more money that they could afford to do and that's what helped make hooters pro cup and you know the brooks is putting up the money i'm just i'm i'm at a spot where i'm at you know with southeast super trucks and with my dirt modified series i work for some weekly racing's doing fine. In pockets, in certain places, it's it's doing fine, and it's still strong. But I think there's a lot more places than not that it's it's really falling off, and it's really hurting, and it's losing its wig, and you don't know how to get it back. And I, I really worry about that. Yeah, I think there's uh, so many different angles you can look at this from. Um, in general, the the problem is the material shortage across the board it's affecting manufacturing it's it's um it's hard to get steel it's hard to get um rubber it's hard to get plastic all these raw materials that a lot of it's coming from overseas uh there's some raw material production here but some of it's coming from overseas and it's hard to get right now um just because of coming out out of the pandemic i think uh so 
it once that dies down i see it improving i see that aspect of it improving but really i think there's two critical aspects that need to happen um to make it work and i don't know how you you could break it down but ultimately i think it would benefit the tracks that are in close proximity to each other um very very similar to kind of what ace and tri-county did this year but i but i think you go a step further and and make it to where it's you know we're not as as much competing as we are working together to keep the rules the same to keep the cars being able to run at certain tracks and, and it's all the same um and then go the extra mile and and work out a schedule together because ultimately when you get down to where it says weekly racing i don't i think those days of having you know 20 races a year and they're all consecutive those days are kind of gone uh i think you're gonna see it be more like a you know every every other week or every third week things like that but if if the tracks could all work together and schedule it to where, okay, the late malls are running at, if we use North Carolina as an example, um, kind of kind of like what Virginia is doing with the Triple Crown, but do it across the entire state. Yeah. Okay. If you do it for like four tracks and you run once a month and all of you bring the same crowd on a different week. Now, there might be some talk about, well, this week is a popular vacation week right if you do that i think all the tracks work together instead of schedule then you create the drama to um you create the drama to get people to travel an hour to go see the next show you know what i mean and and i look at this like if we're talking this area right here we're talking orange ace caraway and who would be a good fourth one uh, Maybe as far as Southern National, nah, I don't, or Wake. I don't, I don't think they want to do weekly racing anymore. Wake might be a good one. Yeah. So right now, I think Wake and Ace are the only Friday night tracks, right? Yeah. So if you worked it out to where those different tracks in Tri County, Hickory, you bring all of them together and create like a North Carolina short track conglomerate. Yeah. And you you guys sit down, you come up with rules. If you want to keep it NASCAR, then NASCAR needs to step in and do this yep. to keep the sport alive. Put somebody in charge of, of weekly or short track racing, right? Someone who's competent. Yeah, someone who can really drive this instead of the tracks having to compete against each other. Uh, it's kind of like the new season of Lost Speedway. Yeah. You see, the, what were the two tracks that... Uh, San Antonio and... Um, the other one that was like just down the road. Yeah, so that you get that type of situation happening, what happened? Both go under. Both are under. Yeah. So if you got, you know, if 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 Ace and Wake are both competing for Friday night people, yeah. you're splitting you're splitting people, right? Same thing with Orange. You know, now there are there is some advantage to running Fridays. There's some disadvantage to running Fridays. You know, people are more readily available on Saturday, but there's no reason. I mean, I just did it, right? There's yeah. no reason that 
people from Virginia shouldn't be coming down to North Carolina to watch racing. It's not that. South Boston is an hour from Ace, right? Uh, I don't know readily how far some of the other Virginia tracks are, but there's no reason that all the short tracks can't work together to benefit themselves. Instead of competing, they could benefit themselves. And that's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do because it involves money, right? <laughs> it's yeah. Everybody wants the attendance, but I think if if all of them looked at it as if we ran one or two successful races a month or, or even less than that, right? Yeah. If you run uh if you run two big races, let's call it one per month, and you get the let's say you draw in five thousand people instead of having two races with maybe fifteen hundred people, then you have you have one expense. Right? You have expenses for one race. You can hire staff for one race and support it. So you drive your expense down, your attendance up, but that just takes a lot more work than just saying, okay, we're, we're racing, uh, we're going to race this schedule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's easier speaking about it than actually doing it. And I'm not the subject yeah. matter expert, but that's just from the outside kind of looking in what I think could be done more. But you, you know as well as I do how hard it would be. Yeah. It, it's, it's a hard thing to, to make happen, but, and it would cost money. Yeah, it would. It would cost money to do that, but if NASCAR wants the grassroots of the sport to live, then they need to get involved. And if, if NASCAR pulls out of it, then the short tracks will have to get together and create their own association and make this happen. Yeah. So well said, brother. I think that's a good place to yeah. end it on. We'll see All if right, we yeah. get yeah, you I another mean, episode before another year and a half passes. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I tell you, man, I've been I've been meaning to uh, to kind of get started going again. Um, as you can see, we are not sitting at the same place we recorded our first episode at, and nah, so move. I had a busy 2020, which is I guess good because it was um, it, it was not busy in other aspects, but busy in in yeah. uh, life. So I think if um, if I can get some consistency here, we'll be good to go. But uh, between my wife and and uh, our our mutual friend, uh, track owner, yeah, <laughs> he's uh, he's keeping me busy. So yeah, between all those things and 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 the kids, but you know I, I miss the podcasting thing, so I want to get back into yeah. it, but. Um, It'd be a lot cooler if we got paid to do it, you know? Yeah, that's that's what we need right there. Yeah. I'd rather do this than work. I wish NBC was, like, listening, you know? I could give you a shout-out like Dale Jr. did, uh, Uh, Blake McCandless, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. We just do that. Instead of hiring somebody uh, new for the broadcast just because they have a certain uh, last name that they just did. uh, Is it Joe Buck? It's not Joe Buck's son, is it? It's uh, Chris... um, Collinsworth. Uh, his they just kid. brought in Chris Collinsworth. I'm like, well, that's cool. I, I'm sure he's good, but I mean, I maybe it's blood. because we have faces for radio. I think well, that's what I've, it is. I've already been told by <laughs> higher ups why I don't do it for a living. So, yeah, my accent got in the way. But, but, but at the same time, I would have if that if that was really the issue, I would have been like, okay, but you have Daryl Waltrip and, the, and Michael Waltrip. 
They got names, man. They got, <laughs> they got names. the I'm name. Not, I'm not a name. They got if the I was name. a name, I could get away with it, but no. But yeah, I mean. Oh, well. I, I, that's why I didn't get hired at 103.3. See, I, I went and interviewed was, for a temporary on-air spot, and I didn't get it, and I called them up and asked them. I said, I, 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 said, I, I really just want to know what I can improve on because I was young. And uh, they said, yeah, your accent was just a little too strong. I was like, oh, dang it. See, I, I disagree because <laughs> once, especially on recording, when you know, when you're reading stuff that's scripted, and you can kind of tailor your voice a little bit, yeah. it's different to me. You know, I I can, you know, let's say I go back and listen to this, I'm a lot different. You know, so, anyways, if NBC or Fox is listening to this, my boy Tyler Williams right here <laughs> is the man. And if you need some some backup let's pull some local short tracks oh dear and and see what the entertainment value is and i i guarantee he'll come highly recommended but you know that might fall in deaf ears but i'm gonna give you a plug anyway buddy well, thank you Appreciate that. <laughs> all right man all right thanks for listening to the side draft podcast with my buddy tyler williams join us next time as we talk about the latest nascar news